0: All right, well, we're in Exodus chapter 19 tonight, so if you have a Bible handy, I invite you to turn there to chapter 19. So, we're talking tonight, though, about uh, this subject God's covenant with his people, Exodus chapters 19 through 24. We are moving pretty rapidly through the book of Exodus, but this is the halfway mark this fall. This is our sixth time to meet together uh, since we started on the 1st of September, and we have six more. Uh, after this, we go through uh, November the 17th. I think I'm right on that date. So uh, we're about halfway through our study, and we'll slow down a little bit at some point when we get a little bit further over. But what we're doing is a, a kind of getting an overview of the book of Exodus, drilling down in some places and just kind of giving the highlights in others. So um, that's kind of our plan and plan of attack here as we go tonight to talk about these subjects having to do with God's covenant with His people. And we are in a covenant ourselves with God, and we'll talk about that later on, but uh, God made a covenant with His people. We find it recorded here in Exodus chapter 19. Look with me now, starting at verse 1, and we will read down through verse 6. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. And by the way, the words there, gone out, now you may have a different translation and the word may be a little bit different there, but the word gone out could actually be translated as Exodus. This is really where the book of Exodus gets its name, where the people have gone out of Egypt. So the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. On the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Now they were there for quite a long time. In fact, uh, as we continue to read over in the, the book of Numbers, you might want to write this reference down because this tells us the next time that they moved. They were here at Mount Sinai, For over 11 months, almost a full year, 11 months and 19 days by my calculation. And you read that in Numbers chapter 10 and verse 11. So what happens here in the book of Exodus, in Leviticus, and then on into the book of Numbers, all happened right here while they were near Mount Sinai, which is also known as Mount Horeb, which was the mountain where God had appeared in the burning bush to Moses, many years before this. So it's a very significant place. And God chose this place uh, to reveal himself in these wonderful ways and to establish this covenant with his people. Point number one in your outline is this. God proposed a covenant with his people. Do you have your outline? Did you get them tonight? Did Did they come out all right? You got them. Okay, good deal. Point number one, God proposed a covenant with his people. We're now at verse three. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the children of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Now those two terms, the house of Jacob and the children of Israel, are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. And all the earth for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, the children of Israel have just gone through uh, several dramatic episodes uh, in their life as a nation, as a people. They went through Passover where God killed uh, the people who did not, the firstborn in houses where there were not blood applied to the door and the lintel. They uh, exited Egypt. They went across the, the Red Sea on dry ground, turned around and watched Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea. And uh, now they've come to this place, Mount Sinai, and they are about to experience a new phase in their relationship with the Lord. They, they know who He is. They still don't know a whole lot about the Lord. They knew Him enough, of course, to cry out for help way back in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. But they still are learning about Him. And we're going to see how God is revealing Himself more and more to His people. But it begins here tonight in our passage with His desire to establish a covenant with his people Now, covenant is an agreement. It is a contract in, in one way of thinking about it, but it's much stronger than a contract. It, uh, it was initiated uh, almost always without exception. It was initiated with the shedding of blood. And uh, we'll see that uh, tonight as we go through this passage. But it is a solemn agreement and relationship Uh, between two or more parties. So in this case, it is a new relationship between God and his people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he is making this covenant with them. He is proposing this covenant to them. He says to them, in effect, you have seen what I have done already for you. I have delivered you out of Egyptian slavery And I have borne you on eagles' wings. Now, that is a beautiful picture of what God did for his people. Uh, Those who've studied eagles a lot tell us that when a mother eagle is training her baby eaglets to fly, she flies below them and they fly above her so that if something were to happen, if they were to get tired or they forgot to flap their wings or whatever it was, if they started falling they would fall directly on their mother. And that is the picture that God is giving to his children. I bore you as a mother eagle would bore her babies on eagle's wings. In other words, I am caring for you just like you are infants. Aren't you glad that we serve a compassionate and loving God who continues to love and serve his children even though we are so many times just like infants. Sometimes we feel like we've matured and grown, and certainly by age we have, and certainly by this time, if you've walked with the Lord a long time, you're more mature than you were earlier in your life walking with the Lord But sometimes, don't you just feel like you're just beginning? I mean, I do. Uh, There's just so much more that God has for us and so many truths he wants to teach us, so many things he wants us to apply to our lives. I still need him to bore me on his eagle wings so that I can learn to fly as he wants me to fly. Uh, And to use a different metaphor, I can learn to walk like he wants me to walk. Mount up with wings like eagles is what he wants me to do. And that's what we ought to want to do. And God, who loves us and is compassionate toward his people, says, look at what I've done for you. I've delivered you out of slavery. I've brought you to this place. I've borne you on eagle's wings. And now look at what else he says. And I have brought you to myself. I have brought you myself. And one way of looking at it, God brought them to this place called Mount Sinai. But far deeper than that, it wasn't just a place that God had brought them to. It was a person that he brought them to. It was himself. And he is establishing himself as the one who loves them, who wants the best for them, who is going to cover them and pursue them and love them and protect them and help them every step of the way. You have seen, he said, what I have done for you and I have brought you to myself, which is what he is still doing all the time. Anyone who will repent of their sin and turn to Jesus, he will bring them to himself. The Christian life is a relationship. Far and above everything else that God blesses us with, primarily, it is a relationship. It is a fellowship between people who are sinful in and of ourselves, but yet our great God loves us and sent His Son to die on the cross for our sin, so that we can be forgiven. And He raised Him from the dead so we can have eternal life, so we can spend eternity with this wonderful, majestic, omnipotent, uh, all-knowing God who knows all about us and yet loves us with an everlasting love. That is our wonderful, gracious God. He's proposing to come into this relationship with his people. He wants them to know him. I have brought you to myself, he said. And so we see that the children of Israel have this wonderful privilege that they are invited into, this wonderful relationship. With the Lord. But now, secondly, I want you to see this. God, point number two, God explained his covenant expectations. He explained his covenant expectations. In other words, God says, I've done all this for you. And I've done it, he will tell them, because I love you. Later on in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is going back over all the things that God had done for them, he will remind them that God did all these things to them, not because they were strong or powerful or so smart, but because he loved them. Why did God send his son Jesus into this world? Because he loves us. May I remind you of John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son He loved his ancient people, the Israelites. He loves the whole world today. And he loves the world so much that he sent his son to be a propitiation, to pay the penalty for our sins. But here in chapters 20 through 23, God explained his covenant expectations. He says, I'm entering into a covenant with you. And if you agree to it, this is what... I expect of you. This is how I want you to act. This is how I want you to behave. I have expectations of you. So look now at chapter 20. The Bible says here, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then the next several verses, we have what we call the Ten Commandments. So let's read over these and uh, just uh, remind ourselves of what they are. Look at verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Look at verse 4. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. Then look at verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's commandment number three. Commandment number four is in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The word holy means separated, It means different. It means the Sabbath day is to be different, from all the other days. There's seven days in a week, six days he will tell them, you do all your work, but the seventh day is holy. It is different from the other days. So you be sure to remember that. And then look at uh, verse 12. We have uh, number five here, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 13, the next of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor. So there are the Ten Commandments with a few explanations along the way. And I wonder how many of us who are familiar with the Ten Commandments could recite them. Or could we fill in the blanks if we had certain words and fill in the blanks? I wonder tonight if, uh, if I were to give you a test and you had to recite or write down all the Ten Commandments, And you couldn't leave this room tonight until you could do that without looking at your Bible. I wonder how many of us would have wished we brought our sleeping bags (laughs) tonight. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to do that. All right, well, good. Ten Commandments. Because God loves us. Dr. Rogers used to say in these Ten Commandments, when God says, Thou shalt not, he means don't hurt yourself. And when he says, Thou shalt, help yourself. So eight of these ten have knots in them. Don't do something. There are only two that don't have thou shalt not. They have have, thou shalt, which is remember the Sabbath day and honor your father and mother. So those are the wonderful Ten Commandments, and we think about them. Uh, We uh, need to meditate on them. We are grateful that God has revealed these Ten Commandments Uh, to his ancient people and to us. But the question would obviously come up, well, what do these really mean? How do I apply these to my life? Well, the next several chapters in Exodus give us application of the Ten Commandments, starting at verse 18 of uh, chapter 20 and going all the way through chapter 23 we see uh, applications of these Ten Commandments. Now, we're we're only going to read a few of these applications tonight, really only a couple of them, uh, just to show you what God was wanting His people to do and how they were to act in this new covenant relationship that He is establishing with them. Look with me at chapter 21 and look at verses 23, 24, and 25. These are some of the more familiar verses in these application chapters. You'll recognize these because Jesus referred to them in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 21, verse 23. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, these are laws of retaliation. And uh, what the purpose of these laws was, was this, that a person who was injured, let's say two men got in a fight, and uh, one of them broke the other man's arm. Well, in order to take revenge uh, on the man whose arm was broken, the man whose arm was broken could only break the other man's arm. He couldn't break both his arms and both his legs. In other words, it has to be like kind. If somebody hurt you, according to the law, the most you could do in retaliation to them is hurt them in the same way that they hurt you. Now, of course, it's always better to forgive and uh and treat other people like you want to be treated. But this is the law that uh, God gave to Moses for his people, that they were uh, not to go beyond what injury they had received themselves. So that's one. And then turn over to chapter 23, and um, let's look at starting at verse 10 and read down a few verses here. Now the first the verses that we just read apply from the last part of the Ten Commandments, having to do with a person's relationship with other people. I don't think I said that earlier. Uh, Commandments one through four have to do with our relationship with God. Commandments five through ten with our relationship with other people. So now we come we come to some of these that have to deal with our relationship with God. Look at chapter twenty three, verse ten. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. All right, so here he is giving a commandment concerning a Sabbath year. They were to work the land for six consecutive years and uh, receive the fruit of their labor to feed themselves and their families. But they were to let the land lie fallow for the seventh year. Every seventh year was to be a Sabbath year. And God promised them that He would make their crops so productive in year six that they would have enough food for their families in year six and year seven and until year eight or the restarting of the years and the new year one until the harvest came in in the new year. He promised them if they would trust him, he would provide for them just that way. Now, that was part of it. Another part of it was for the land to lie fallow for a year for the good of the land to give it rest. And also, even though the land was not to be plowed and sown and harvested during that Sabbath year, there would still be some plants that would come up uh, and that would be designed and planned for the poor people of the land who had no ability uh, to harvest for themselves. And so they would be able to eat of the produce of the land during that seventh year as a way of God taking care of the poor people in the land of Israel. Now then, you may remember that though this was God's plan and his part of the covenant with them, the Israelites never did it. They ignored this command. They never observed a Sabbath year. And in fact, those years kept piling up until it came to the number 490, and that was the year that God brought the Babylonians to, to Judah and took the Israelites, the Judites, back to Babylon for a period of 70 years. God said, if you are not going to obey me, every seventh year by letting the land lie fallow, then I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to send you off into captivity so that the land will be fallow for the 70 years that you refused to obey me. And then, look with me now, we're back in Exodus. Look at verse 12. Six days you shall do your work, And on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect, and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. And so, in addition to the Sabbath years, of course, there was also the Sabbath days. Every seventh day was to be a Sabbath day, and uh, later they would give additional uh, guidelines and rules, and the Pharisees and Sadducees and others would eventually add all these other regulations that were not a part of the original commandment. But there were many laws that were added to these original Ten Commandments. In fact, by the time of the New Testament era, there was a total of 613 laws in the Old Testament that the Jews were supposed to observe. That's in addition to, or that's including, rather, the Ten Commandments that were given, that we read just a moment ago. 613 Commandments. Now, I wonder how many people in that day would have been able to keep all, all 613 of them, even if they knew what they were. See, now, they were written down because they did have scrolls that they wrote Scripture down on, but people didn't have access to it like we have. Everybody's got a Bible today. You and I probably got 10 or 12 or more at home. But back then, people didn't have Bibles. They couldn't go to their Bible and look it up and see what law and what day and all of that. So 613 laws in the Word of God in the Old Testament. And so, here is the problem that arose. That they, though God had given them these commandments, they could not keep them. And they... Uh, They suffered the consequences for that. But before we get to that point, uh, I want to remind you of a time when Jesus was asked by a certain lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus referred to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6. Interesting to me that he did not go back to one of the Ten Commandments. He went to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he said, the greatest commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he went on to say, the second is like it. That is the second greatest commandment. Is similar to that one. And he said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the man said, wow, that is cool. I never thought of that before. He said, teacher, you have spoken well. Those two commandments are a summary of all of the law and the prophets. So what did God want from his ancient people? He wanted them to love him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you shall love people. It kind of sounds like a mission statement I've heard somewhere. Love God. Love people. Share Jesus. And make disciples. Here we are, all these years later, thinking about and remembering the wonderful words of our Lord. And so we've seen God propose this this covenant with his people. We've seen God uh, giving them his expectations. And now point number three, God's people accept the terms of the covenant. They accept the terms of the covenant. They hear all these things, and they have a choice. Are we going to accept it or not? And they say, yes. Look at chapter 24 now, and we're going to look at verse, starting at verse 4 in verse 24, chapter 24, rather. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar, At the foot of the mountain, that is Mount Sinai, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then He took the book of the covenant, that is the one he had just written, and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. You have to admire their desire here. They were were responding to this gracious proposal by the Lord to enter into a covenant with them. And Moses, verse 8, took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So the people accept the terms of the covenant. You see here Moses offering, after he built the altars, he offered through these uh, young men, these burnt offerings and sacrifices of peace offerings, and they collected the blood from these animals, these oxen that had been sacrificed. He collected part of the blood that was poured on the altar itself, and then he kept the other half of the blood, and after the people had agreed to accept the terms of the covenant, He sprinkled the rest of the blood on them. You remember a few moments ago, I said that every covenant is established by the shedding of blood. That is true here in the old covenant. It was also true and is also true in the new covenant that Jesus established for us. So they have the offerings. They have the blood on the altar. They have the agreement by the people. Then they have the blood That was sprinkled on the people. So the people are saying, Yes, we are excited, we are thankful that God wants us to be in covenant relationship with Him. We accept His terms. But we all know that though they said that at the time, they were never able to live up to the terms of the covenant. They disobeyed the Lord. They refused to obey him. They hardened their hearts. They did not keep the law. But even before we get to the New Testament era, some of the ancient prophets were saying to the people, I know that you are not keeping the covenant, but there's good news. And the good news is that there's coming a time when I will make a new covenant with my people. Not the kind that you have now, where it was written on stones, referring there to the Ten Commandments, that God wrote on the stones, the stone tablets. Not written on stones on the outside, but written on your heart on the inside. And that is coming. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, is one of the places in the Old Testament where God speaks that to His people. It is quoted several times in the New Testament, but God was preparing His people to receive a new covenant. He knew. Well, you say, if God knew, they couldn't keep it. Why did He give them all these laws? Well, Paul explains that to us in Galatians chapter 3, where he asks this question, why then the law? The law was added, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, because of sin, because of transgression. God wanted his people to know how holy he is and how sinful they are. So he gave them the law, to show the holiness of himself and the sin that was in the heart of every person who's ever been conceived, who's ever lived. And so what we have here is God establishing this covenant with his people, knowing that though they say they will keep the commandments, that they will not, and yet he has already provided for them the Savior who was crucified before the foundation of the world. So Jesus has always been in the plan of God to give the ultimate sacrifice, not with the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, but with his own blood. Jesus poured out his life on a cross at Calvary. And before he did that, he was with his disciples, his apostles in the upper room. And they were observing the Passover meal. He took bread and he said, take this bread. This bread is my body, which is broken for you. After the bread, he gave them the cup and he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this cup. And you think about this. In that passage we just read, what did Moses do with the blood of the animal? He sprinkled it on the people. But with Jesus and his apostles in the upper room, what did he do with the cup which was symbolic of his blood? He said, take it inside of you. It's not sprinkled on your body. It is designed to change your heart. So we're in the new covenant because Jesus came, born of the virgin, lived a sinless life, walked on water, gave sight to blind eyes, and yet was crucified on a cross for sins he did not commit was buried in a tomb, rose from the dead on the third day. He is the one who said, Behold, I am he who was dead, but I am alive forevermore. That one who suffered and bled and died on that cross for our sins. God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he died. So our sins could be separated from us, not just covered, but removed from us. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of love and life has, been made, has made us free from the law of sin and death. If you know Jesus, you are blessed indeed. If you know Jesus, you have already passed from condemnation into eternal life. And that is the new covenant that you and I have the privilege because of God's mercy and his grace that we are allowed to enjoy.